welcome to this week's episode of Life in the Clouds with your hosts Brittany and Dustin. Again, this will just be me. It'll be a little bit of a shorter episode. And I'm going to talk about when it's the right time to consider leaving a role as a software engineer. Um, you know, a software engineer market being what it is, it's you're inundated with recruiting requests and emails and LinkedIn notifications and whatnot. Um, how do you filter through and know when the right time is to start entertaining those options? And how do you make an assessment of when is the right time to actually um, follow through with leaving a position or a company? Um, I'm speaking from having done this myself a couple times. And I want to lay out some of the things that uh, you know, I've thought through and as I've talked to others about, uh, you know, my decisions in this space, some of the advice that I've gotten externally as well. So uh, if that's interesting to you, just stay tuned in and uh, we'll get going here in a sec. Uh, so first off, I want to talk about what, how do you respond and what do you respond to that comes in through LinkedIn and emails? I would say that you, there's no way that you can respond to everything, right? Uh, there, You get too many requests for information. So I would take a step back and, you know, spend some time. It doesn't have to be very long, maybe 30 minutes or an hour um, one evening or weekend to think through what does the company profile look like that you would consider leaving for? Uh, because, you know, if you have a, a, a lucrative software job in the Bay Area, you're probably not going to leave for a startup company that's in, you know, Kansas City, Missouri, or somewhere uh, else kind of in, in Central America. You may, uh, different people have different uh, preferences and ideas, but broadly, you'll have some locus of uh, company profiles and uh, location profiles for which you'd be willing to leave. So, I would encourage you to take a look at that and come to a decision ahead of time so that you have a personal playbook to understand, okay, yes, I am interested in uh, looking at this opportunity or no, I'm going to ignore this. Uh, secondarily, I would say it depends on the type of recruiter that reaches out to you. So one thing to know about recruiting is that there are a few different types of recruiters. There are some that are third party, uh, directly, essentially contract recruiters where companies will pay them per person that they bring in. Uh, they don't operate on a retainer, so they're just firms that are essentially trying to reach out and generate as many contacts as they possibly can because those firms have metrics that are associated with the hiring funnel where you know, X number of reach outs leads to Y numbers of engagements leads to Z number of interviews. And ultimately, the metric that they're driving toward is placements. So it's really a numbers game for those those types of firms. So I would say uh, that's the that's the first area of recruiting styles. The second is company recruiters. So these are recruiters who are on staff at a corporation. They're employees of the corporation, and their job is to get the best people into a specific company. Um, they're generally uh, incentivized, again, by you know hires, direct hires is the ultimate metric, but uh, they're a little bit less scattershot because it also, quality of hires also matters 
uh, and quality of candidates that they bring in because they have direct ongoing partnership with the hiring managers. So if the hiring managers get a lot of subpar candidates or are rejecting a lot of folks that they end up phone screening or interviewing in person, you're damaging relationships that uh, you need to be successful in your job. So those, I, I would say, are a little bit, uh, you know, I, I respond to those a lot more readily than I do from the third party uh, kind of numbers, number, uh, number crunching firms. And then thirdly, um, this is uh, probably less applicable at lower levels, but as you get to uh, higher levels in a company, uh, companies will also have retained search firms that they use. So they, in that scenario, it's a third party firm, but the company has the firm on a retainer. So essentially they work for the company. Uh, typically it will be retainer per role. So they will have a fee that they are taking on retainer for role. So they're not trying to just drive mass numbers. They are incentivized by uh, filling specific roles that the company looks at, not just driving volume. So uh, I also tend to respond, uh, as long as the company's in my profile, to retained uh, recruiter questions as well. Um, and that's some direct advice that I've gotten from uh, multiple folks outside of just my direct experiences. If you're dealing with a recruiter that is associated with a firm, definitely make sure if they're a good question to ask them is, are they, uh, are they on retainer with the company? Are they uh, asking, are, are they searching for this position under a retainer for the company? And if they don't say yes, the answer is no. Uh, they'll, they may try to dance around that or give you a sideways answer. But if they're not on retainer, just, you know, be, be cautious, tread lightly. Not that, you know, non-retainer based firms are, um, out to get you or, um, you know, shady or anything like that. It's just that generally you'll have more luck with either company recruiters or retained recruiters within the company. Um, okay, so but now you've got your company profile, you know, kind of which recruiters uh, to respond to. How do you uh, manage kind of the rest of the process? So uh, what, what I usually suggest to most folks is no matter where you are or how happy you are, try to entertain offers with some relative frequency. You can't be doing it continually all the time, but you know, once a year, once every six months is some sort of reasonable balance because it, it gives you a couple of things. One, it gives you confidence that you're valuable in the market and gives you a discrete assessment of your value in the marketplace, right? Like if you get into like down the funnel far enough, or in the case that you get specific offers, you have like concrete anchor points of what is your value in the marketplace. That's one. Uh, two, I also like it from a perspective of you should always be making the proactive choice to stay where you are. And if you're not, if you don't actually have offers or recent experience interviewing, you aren't really making the conscious choice to stay because it's, I mean, it's a vacuously true assessment that, oh yeah, I'm choosing to stay here. But are you really because there aren't any other concrete offers and you don't have an established value in the marketplace? You, you may have some perceived value or a guess at the range, but without having actually done that and built the confidence that yes, you can get through 
interview processes, you can uh, obtain offers from external firms, then you're not necessarily making that direct choice. And the third reason that um, you know I suggest to you kind of always always be interviewing, always be entertaining is it keeps you sharp, right? Like with anything, you're only as good as the number of reps that you take. Um, you know, if it, various analogies in sports, um, you know, any kind of artistic thing, you know, 10,000 hours of Mac- Malcolm Gladwell outliers analogy, the more you practice, the better you get. So if you wait until you need a job to start interviewing and going through the process and haven't built up those skill sets, then you're a little bit behind the curve. Whereas if you need a job because either, um, you know, company reorgs or, uh, personal preference, like if there is some change that you don't like, or you just are, you know need uh, to broaden your overall long-term career horizons, it's a lot easier to do that if you have already been honing those skills of interviewing. And interviewing is definitely a skill unto itself. Um, as software engineers, we generally like to think that our technical skills speak for itself, and that's true to a large extent, but that there are a lot of other non-purely technical skills that come out through the interview process that if you can uh, nail those, you have a leg up over a lot of the folks who are interviewing just based on their purely uh, technical skill set. I'm not saying that you can't get hired if you only go on your technical acumen, uh, but you're narrowing your options if you don't have, you know, good responses and and a a methodical approach to the interview structure. Once again, we want to thank our sponsor, G1 Consulting Group at g1cg.com. If you need any help with any technology projects, whether it's to get one off the ground, get one across the finish line, just need general advice and guidance, uh, check out the folks at G1 Consulting Group. They've got a great team of individuals to help you out with any kind of problems or concerns you have with technology delivery. So thanks again. Um, I think talking through actually how to approach the interview is worthy of its own podcast. So we'll skip over that for now um, and revisit it at at some other point. But uh, as far as knowing when to make the, the leap, so you know, You've got your company profiles. You know, kind of when to what, what types of recruiters to reach out to, um, and and how frequently you should be doing this. How do you know when it's the right time to to make a jump? So, the way that I think about this is, uh, generally, you don't want to leave if uh, you're in a good situation that you like, and there's not a very material compensation increase. Um, or like you know there's also there are other things that are not directly uh dollars related which that's another angle that i encourage you to do a little bit of forethought on is um, maintain a spreadsheet where you have all the factors that you may consider in a uh, decision from a, a holistic compensation standpoint so that's not just the salary equity and benefits but that includes things like um, you know, you may uh, discount or uh, incur premiums based on where the location is. Uh, you know, if you only have a couple cities that you're looking at, uh, most people have some dollar amount that they will move anywhere for. So 
make sure that you have that quantified before you go into a situation because you may be surprised if you said like oh i'm on the east coast i never want to go to the west coast there's probably a dollar amount somewhere it may be astronomical you may think that it's unrealistic uh, but you may be pleasantly surprised if you do have that anchor dollar amount and you get through offer negotiations and you're like okay wow that's uh that definitely piques my interest enough to consider uh, doing something that I thought that I might never do. Um, and then there's various other things. So, uh, you know, cost of living obviously comes into play. That's more of a direct cost. Uh, you may, uh, again, incur a premium or discount based on the company profile, um, the specific industry, if you want to either stay or get into a specific industry. Um, you may also have kind of scope of responsibility or title considerations so that you can, again, incur a premium or a discount. And the way that I do these uh, myself in terms of the non-directly uh, cost elements is you have some discount percentage factor based on what industries you prefer, what cities you prefer, what kind of scopes and roles that you prefer. And those are just manual percentages that you either discount the total dollar package by or, um, you know, add a premium to. So, for instance, like if you've got a total all-in comp package of, let's just use round numbers, say $100,000. Um, so let's say that your target uh, dollar comp package with equity salary benefits is $150,000. Um, but you really want to, you grew up a Cardinals fan, you grew up a Rams fan, you really want to get to St. Louis. You've never lived in St. Louis, but uh, man, Nelly and the St. Lunatics really spoke to you back in the day. So you want to spend some time there. Uh, you may then you know, give it a discount factor of some percentage. So where in your current city or other candidate cities, your uh, negotiating anchor is $150,000, Maybe if St. Louis opportunity comes up, that drops down to $120,000, dollars Or, you know, if you, kind of similar scenario, if you do not want to move to New York, you don't want to deal with the hustle and bustle, uh, you don't want to deal with the traffic and the noise and the volume of people, et cetera, et cetera, then maybe that $150,000 becomes... Um, you know, it could be as high as two hundred fifty or three hundred thousand dollars, and say like, I'm, there's almost no way that I'm going to move to New York. But if I get a, if I double my expected benchmark comp, then I might entertain the idea. Um, you know, New York and St. Louis kind of ignoring the obvious cost of living increases there, but that just gives you a framing for how to add premiums or discounts to non-directly quantifiable attributes of assessing the job. Um, so once, you, once you've got that, I would say as you're getting down the funnel in the interview process, just continually go back and um, iterate and update your one, company and role profile desires, and then two, your, uh, you know, the cost things, because you may learn things as you get more or less down the funnel. And as things get more concrete, as you get you know, the, the boat gets a little bit closer to the dock, so to speak. Uh, you may have to change those. So those aren't things that are necessarily static. You'll want to be updating those as you go through. And then finally, you know, when when would you make the opportunity to leave? Essentially, if, if your 
pre-established criteria that you say is you've established in a fairly objective manner uh, drives you to leave a situation, then uh, you know definitely entertain the idea. Um, I always caution against leaving really good situations, especially if you have a very good direct manager and leadership chain. Just because you know the growth opportunities and experience there, the grass is always greener in a lot of scenarios. So unless it's you know quite a bit in excess or you're not really that happy, uh, then maybe consider it there. But I would caution against leaving a a really solid situation just for something new or novel. Um, if you've been at the same company or in the same kind of line of work, generally there are competing philosophies on this. Um, you know, kind of deep expertise in a single area, single company. Uh, my philosophy has always been try to broaden your expertise, even if it is in a functional area, um, but then also within uh, different different companies, different environments from a long-term career development perspective. Because if you get used to only one or two ways of doing things and delivering things, it, it you don't have as much visibility, um, you know, unless you've worked in a consulting environment or something where you're servicing multiple companies in a single or multiple sectors. You don't really have that broad experience to understand different ways of doing things. And you run the risk of getting entrenched in a single way of, of executing. Then finally, one of talk a little bit more specifically about what might drive you to look in the first place, like a little bit more discreetly rather than honing your interview process and cadence. Uh, one thing that is is really telling is the canary effect. So if you see folks start to leave the company, especially established leaders that you respect, that you've modeled your pattern of work after, etc. If you see those folks start to leave the company, you know, one off, two off may not be uh, a big deal. But if you see a pattern of individuals that you you really respect and really try to emulate, then definitely think fairly hard about the overall direction of the company, um, whether your personal style and career trajectory is going to continue to fit in there um, and whatnot. Definitely, as if as you undergo large leadership changes, um, depending on what the specifics are around those, that's always a good time to kind of take a step back and reassess and reevaluate. I would give new leadership some opportunity and leeway to come in and establish their operating style and management style, but you know, it's it's not going to hurt you if you do a little bit of proactively going back to what is the company profile, what is the job profile, what does the comp package look like, uh, because you never really know. Um, and in those types of scenarios, you can see kind of large transformative shifts that could be good or could be bad. You just never really know until you're in it. And then if you wait until um, you decide uh, this is not quite where I want to go, it's a lot more difficult to start uh, that process at that point, if unless you've already had, uh, compared to you're already having uh, gone some way downstream in, uh, you know, honing your interviewing techniques and your prospects. That's it for this week's podcast on when to leave and how to look for a job. Just to kind of summarize. Um, upfront, kind of set your baselines for what types of companies and roles you might consider, uh, what your compensation anchors are from a holistic perspective, not just the dollars and cents standpoint. 
and I would say continually be interviewing, even if you're happy where you are, even if you're not looking, uh, honing those skills is always very valuable. Um, and then, you know, once you start looking a little bit, if you decide to start looking a little bit more proactively, um, start that process maybe a little bit earlier than you think so that you're a little bit less reactive. It's always easy to uh, pull out of the job funnel uh, much easier than uh, injecting yourself and getting that momentum built. So um, that's my advice on that whole process. So I hope this was helpful. Um, Thank you for joining us again today, and we will be back next week. Take care. Once again, this podcast is brought to you by our friends at G1 Consulting Group. That's G1CG.com. They've got a great team of uh, project management consultants and various technology consultants. So if you've got a program, project, or initiative that's either running behind or you're just spinning up or you know need some help kind of training your staff in those sorts of practices, uh, Check them out definitely. Uh, they got a they they have a fantastic team there, um, and we appreciate their support in our podcast. Again, that's uh, g1cg.com.